Rinkwide Vancouver. The Canucks defeat the Anaheim Ducks by a score of 3-1. to one. It's Jeff Patterson along with Irfan Gaffar. And we're here to break this one down. It's Rinkwide Vancouver brought to you by Betway. Wasn't pretty. Certainly not for the first 40 minutes. But we've seen the Canucks in a bunch of ties after two periods recently, and they've had nothing to show for it in games against Seattle, in Colorado, on Saturday night in San Jose. They got it right in the third period, had to work for it, outshot the Ducks 16-4, and ultimately outscored them 2-0 in the final period to win it by a score of 3-1. They are now 8-1-1 on home ice. And Irf, the last time you were in, we worked the... (laughs) Calgary game, the Canucks lost, wasn't a pretty game then. This one wasn't either, but the result certainly favors the home team. They'll take the two points, but they know that they're going to have to be better. It was funny, before the third period started, we were chatting and said, oh man, this is another game where they haven't didn't have many <laughs> shots on net. Outshot 27-12 to 12 after 40 minutes at Rogers Arena, but they turned it on when they had to. And again, we go back to their big guys being their big guys. And that's been the story of this season for the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, the first quartet, in NHL history to have 25 points or more through 23 games this season. It's unbelievable what these guys are doing. They're doing it at a historic pace. They're doing it at a historic level. Obviously, Quinn Hughes not getting the record tonight, and and he had the chance to do it. But this Vancouver Canuck team, you know, some inconsistencies in their game, but when they turn it on, they can compete with the best of them. Yeah, the record you refer to, he had a chance to, and he's rewritten the franchise record book a number of times already, but he had a chance to extend a point streak to 12 games, which would have been the most by any defense in Canuck history. Of course, Philip Hironik already got to 11 early. They're only 23 games in. Like, who's to say that Quinn Hughes isn't going to break this record again at some point, the way that he's going, the way that this team is playing. And look, there's been a fair bit of heat on Elias Pettersson, and rightly so. There has been a, a dip in his play. Guy had 19 points in the first 10 games, and we were talking about a 200-point season. And then it got a little quiet for him, for him and his line mates. And so good for Elias Pettersson, the wraparound, Andre Kuzmenko back in the lineup after uh, the punishment over the weekend played a role in that. Distracting John Gibson. Gibson takes a bit of a, a swing at Kuzmenko, got distracted momentarily, and that opened up that left side of the net. And Elias Pettersson popped in uh, from behind the wraparound. His ninth goal of the season hadn't scored. In fact, I don't know, maybe it's you. Uh, he hadn't <laughs> scored since that game in Calgary. That was a big one for him and obviously for the hockey club as well. Oh, 100%. And I mean, obviously, there's a lot of talk and speculation that he's battling something. He, I mean, he's not going to tell anyone if he is, but you know, as we enter the Christmas point of the season. But yeah, this Vancouver Canucks team I mean Andre Kuzmenko back into the lineup just under 13 minutes of ice time at a shot on goal but as you mentioned getting into that area where made life a little bit of a living hell for uh John Gibson for, for Elias Pettersson to score there so it was one of those points where you looked at Kuzmenko's game and you said okay what does he have to do differently because he wasn't scoring that's probably why he wasn't, you know, playing much. And then he wasn't playing well on the defensive end. Well, if you can do these things and do the little things that Rick Talk and his coaching staff want you to do, you're probably going to be in the lineup more, more nights than not. Tough for the other line mate on that line, you know, uh, Ilya Mikheyev taking that shot off um, Tyler Myers. I think it's somewhere on the knee. You hope it's not serious or anything like that. But uh, nonetheless, the Vancouver Canucks get a win, a win they needed to have. Because, Jeff, we're sitting here, if they lose this game, having a very different conversation about that team if they lose to San Jose and then Anaheim. Yeah, I mean, they dropped four of their last six. First real blip on the schedule. 
So you're right. And as we said, it gets tougher from here, and it starts on Thursday with their first look at the defending Stanley Cup champs. The Vegas Golden Knights are in town the month of December. If people haven't looked at the schedule, a bunch of teams. Now New Jersey has struggled, <laughs> but obviously the, the Hughes brothers, the return of Travis Green, but the Devils at any point will find their form here. That'll be a handful. They see Tampa. They see Carolina. They see Florida as well. Uh, they have to go to Dallas. All of those games before Christmas. So there are tougher opponents ahead, and you're right. Had they dropped this one on the heels of a loss to San Jose that Rick Tockett called a wake-up call, and I get it. The Sharks are playing a little bit better. They beat Washington last night. You know, there are no easy games in the NHL. The Canucks found that out uh, for themselves on Saturday, but still should have, at the end of that long stretch, been able to put up a better effort than they did at the tank. Again, for 40 minutes here tonight, it was a little iffy. Now, they never trailed. Brock Besser opens the scoring six and a half minutes into the hockey game, his 16th of the season. You know, it's one nothing for the Canucks after one, but to Anaheim's credit, they get a power play. They make the most of it. Uh, Ryan Strom ties this game, his third of the year at 5-10 of the second period, and then it stays 1-1 through two. And that's where I mentioned earlier that I haven't really liked the Canucks' third periods an awful lot. And so I don't know what was said. I don't know if the players took it upon themselves, if the coach had to remind them that, you know, it is a 60-minute game, and this one was hanging there in the balance. Ultimately, they were the better team. And this Anaheim team was a nice story in the early going, but they've mm -hmm. dropped seven in a row. So this was a team that was ripe for the taking. We saw the Oilers take them behind the woodshed the other night. You'd like to see the Canucks win some of these games in convincing fashion, but, you know, 10-1 or two to one, whatever. The outcome and the result is what matters most. And so with the empty netter, this one turns into a 3-1 final for the Vancouver Canucks, as we said, 15-7 and one. So they're up to 31 points now through 23 games. It was funny because at one point, Anaheim held a 22 to eight edge in shots on goal. But at the end of the night, and again, a big third period sort of made up for some of that, but you know, the Canucks control 57.8% of the shot attempts, so the numbers were in their favor there. The scoring chances at even strength were 26-19. The high dangers were 12-8 in favor of the Canucks. So if you only looked at those, you think, oh, the Canucks were in full control of this hockey game. But Thatcher Demko, as he has been particularly on home ice this season, you know, had to be sharp in a 1-1 game, one shot, one bounce, whatever the case. And Thatcher Demko had to come up with a couple of stops. I thought maybe his best was a, a shoulder or a glove mm -hmm. off Mason McTavish in the first period. And McTavish is going to be a beast. I mean, the guy's uh, 20 years old, you know, already, yeah. like, you know, pro size. And, yeah, you notice him out there, absolutely. And so uh, Thatcher Demko made that stop. Frank Vetrano, who has a couple of hat-tricks already in a two-goal game, he had a crossbar in the second period. And then, if you're looking for turning points in this hockey game, I suppose— uh, too many men on the ice penalty. We know Rick Tockett loves his line changes, and he wants uh, them to be cleaner. You're up 2-1, to one and you take a too many men on the ice penalty with four and a half minutes to go. Penalty kill had already surrendered the one goal in the second period. Gave up a power play goal in San Jose the other night. So it rose to the challenge there. Uh, Ducks had the puck, had some pressure, but ultimately the Canucks got that job done and on the night get the job done as well. Well, and Thatcher Demko, you mentioned him. He needed to be solid a couple of times, but he didn't need to be great. And I think for this Vancouver Canucks hockey team, when you look at the way that Thatcher Demko's played this season, they can be in these one goal games. And I think that they know that they're going to get the save, albeit they got lucky. The Ducks did hit the post on that power play, yeah. right? So, I mean, it could have very easily been a tie hockey game, but 
when Thatcher Demko is on his game, when he's that calming influence behind them, I, I think that this team plays a lot better. And you're going to need your goalie to steal you a few games in this league. No question about it. But on a night like tonight, you know, he was good when he needed to be. And that was early on in the game in the first two periods when they needed a goalie to make saves when the offense wasn't doing anything. And then in the third period when this team took over, they said, okay, we got you now. And, uh, <laughs> you know I, I mean? I'm glad you brought that up. That was an incredible sequence. At the end of the power play, McTavish hits the post. So that close. And then the two duck defensemen get their wires crossed in the blue line. And essentially, uh, two-on-one, Elias Pettersson and Connor Garland, who had served the too-many-men penalty, mm-hmm. hops out of the box. And Elias Pettersson puts on the brakes, and it kind of felt like time stood still there, and he was looking for the right play and ultimately wasn't able to shove that puck home. But still, I, I thought, and again, we talked about his goal. I thought Elias Pettersson got better as this night went along, and it's not even so much, I mean, the goal was huge for him and ultimately turns out to be the game winner, but I keep looking for these moments from Elias Pettersson, and I saw. I, I thought I saw a couple of them in the third period where it just felt like he was a little more invested in the game. And that's a, that's a good sign. I mean, obviously you'd like to think he's going to be invested every night, but he's fighting something. He's struggling yeah. right now, but I, I thought he kind of came to life in that third period, whether it was the goal or whether it was just this idea that, okay, third periods haven't been enough. He hasn't been a difference maker. I thought his third period was his best of the night. And there were some signs there that, you know, hopefully he's going to come out of this slumber. Yeah, the physicality in his game. Yeah. And the physicality in his game throughout, you know, this season has been there for Elias Pettersson. You know what I want him to do on that, Jeff? Right at the top of the circle, just take that shot that we all know that you have. Just like his first career goal against the Calgary Flames where he came flying down the wing and that was it, top corner. That's what I wanted him to do. So maybe this is a sense of him seeing seeing something else or seeing the game a little bit differently now. But before, I mean, gripping and ripping Elias Pettersson was something to watch. Yeah, and I think for the people, there's that camp out there, though, it must be his wrist. I don't need him uncorking the one-timers. And we did see him have a one-timer yeah. in this hockey game. His wrist shot is lethal. And we've seen that countless times over his career in the National Hockey League. And so his shot totals have been down of late. He ends up with three shots, and that's a good sign because uh, there have been too many nights here of late where it's been one or sometimes two shots on goal. Uh, he ends up with three shots. Those were his three attempts, but they all hit the net, and the wraparound obviously found the back of the net, played 21 minutes and 33 seconds, so he's playing a lot here. Rick Tockett leaning on his top guys. Patterson played 24 minutes in San Jose the other night and up over 21 and a half in this hockey game. Phil Heronik is the high ice time man at 26-27, and of course... The Canucks dressed Cole McWard, but he didn't play much. He was the low ice time guy, 9.05, just one shift in the final 11 minutes of a tight hockey game. So really went with five defensemen for the most part. And a guy like Tyler Myers uh, ends up with 22 and a half minutes of ice time. Ian Cole was up over 20 minutes as well. So they had four defensemen that were up over 20 minutes. And it's going to be interesting to see you know, where this goes. Akita Hiroshi's had a game. Cole McWard got a game. Noah Juleson seems to be ahead of those guys on the pecking order. He stays in the lineup. Friedman came out. And so uh, we'll see where things go. You know, you mentioned Ilya Mikheyev was in some distress. Yeah. He left the hockey game earlier in the third period. JT Miller hit Brock Besser. You didn't want to see Brock Besser go down, but he didn't even miss a shift. So he was back out there to seal the deal into the empty net. And let's just get into Brock Besser yeah. right here, right now. Hockey fights cancer night. We all know the story a year ago. Now he scored on hockey fights cancer night last year when he was almost a healthy scratch. And here he is. Fast forward one year, hockey fights cancer not only is he the leading goal scorer in the National Hockey League, came into the night with a share of the league lead, took solo possession six minutes into the hockey game, 
Murphy's got a cushion now. <laughs> He's got 17 goals. He is one off his goal total from last year before the end of November, and he's still got a game to go here. He can match his total from last season on Thursday night. Trade Brock Besser has been the topic of conversation in this city for years, I want to say. And now it's, you can't win unless Brock Besser's going in <laughs> on some nights. And I think the one thing that, uh, obviously, you know, his goal getting into those areas where, you know, we haven't been really used to seeing Brock Besser, but, you know, he, he taps one in from going to going in front of the net. But the one thing, and I know... People aren't going to, you know, maybe see see this as, as differently as I do is the empty net goal on the power play from your own end. Like Brock doesn't do that unless he's feeling it. Right. And I think when yep. you're hot, you're hot and everything you're touching goes into the net. So I think that, you know, he obviously, you know, he had three shots again. The evolution of what he was to what he is now in the summer that he had has been something remarkable. And I think that not only for him, the organization is very lucky to have it. And, you know, the conversation that he had with Patrick Alvin last year about not wanting to be traded and, you know, he wants to be a Vancouver Canuck. And I think Patrick Alvin said, okay, well, let's see how much you work this offseason. Let's see the work that you put in. I'm pretty sure Brock was only off the ice for maybe a week this summer at most. So you know the work that he put in and it's definitely showing and his teammates are reaping the benefits of it. I mean, the dude is playing some really, really, really good hockey right now. Yeah, and you bring up the point that, you know, like they all count. And if you're ever going to get to big numbers in the National Hockey League, you're going to need some empty netters along the way. And so he doesn't have to apologize for scoring into empty nets and sealing the deal. And part of that calculus is, He's out there in that situation because the coach now trusts him to preserve the lead and ultimately end the hockey game. And I think like under Travis Green, under Bruce Boudreau, like that's just not a position. Brock Messer was not out there in the late stages to score empty net goals. And so, you know, I think that speaks to the evolution of the player here. And you're right, the work that he put in, you know, made the decision not to play in the beauty league, which glorified Mm -hmm. shinny and... You know, in years gone, like lots of guys do it, but he had had enough and decided this year that he was going to focus on himself and his training. And I, I do think it's paying off. And, you know, just look at the goal totals here. I mean, starts with four on opening night. I mean, dream start, obviously. <laughs> but there's been no real let up. Like he scored four on opening night and then didn't score the next couple of games, but then scored in Tampa. He scored in Florida. You know, I think his longest drought right now is four games, but he's had a two goal game against the San Jose Sharks in that 10 1 romp. He had a two-goal game a couple of games ago in San Jose, and here he has two more tonight. So, you know, he's scoring in bunches, but that's how you make up ground at this level is not just a goal here and a goal there. I mean, this guy is getting hungry, and he is feasting, and it's been fun to watch and just an incredible redemption story. And, and just you know, because hockey fights cancer means so much to him, it was so easy to mark last year and all that went on and all that went wrong on that day. And ultimately he did get into the lineup and scored. And here he is fast forward one year. And the guy is a top, the national, like this is a good league. There are a lot of good scores in the national hockey league. And Brock Besser stands alone yeah. with 17 goals. Well, that's the thing. And I think that when he came into the league as a rookie, he was a guy that was near the top of the league in scoring. So there were glimpses of that so early on in his career. And then I think the back injury, that cloud cutter buck hit, and then I think the wrist injury and I think that everything else that has happened and the train wreck of seasons that went on and, you know, obviously the stuff that happened last year and, you know, you don't need to get into his family stuff and always the health of his father um, and, and and things like that. But it's just the way that he's been able to turn it around, I think, has been 
nothing short of I credit him a lot. Uh, the people around him, his trainers, and everything that he's doing. It's a different Brock Besser. He throws hits. He gets into people's faces. He's uh, doing things that we haven't really seen Brock do. But now you are, and you know, like you like you just said, Jeff. There's a lot of good scores in this National Hockey League. Guys that put put the puck in the net and get paid a lot more money than Brock Besser does. And he's got 17 goals this season, and we're not even done November yet. It's been remarkable, and uh, it's been fun to see. And just uh, he does look at ease and at peace with himself, and nice to see him smiling. And I'm sure his dad uh, smiling down on him as well, Duke, such a, a big part of yeah. Brock Besser's story. So, you know, right off the top, you said uh, top guns lead the way. Pedersen with a goal, he gets the winner. Besser, the bookend goals there. Uh, JT Miller, two more assists. Philip Heronik on the score sheet. The only guy that was missing was. Quinn Hughes, and that's been a rarity of late, and uh, it won't happen very often, and it's not that he played poorly in this hockey game. In fact, I go back to a first-period sequence where the Canucks were on their first power play of the night, and Quinn Hughes goes back for a puck, gets tangled up with Sam Carrick, play goes up ice, and I don't know if it's intentional on the part of Sam Carrick, but, and maybe I'm giving him credit he doesn't deserve here, (laughs) really a brilliant play. Like, if you can take Quinn Hughes off the ice, off the power play, and then when the penalties expired, they had to wait for a whistle. Hughes was in the penalty box for four minutes. Like, that's a trade-off the Ducks would take all day and twice on Sunday. Quinn Hughes in the penalty box, that's that's definitely no good to them, but just watching him, and I know we wax poetically about his skating ability and and the things that he does and how good he is with the puck, but man, he made some Anaheim Duck players look really bad at the blue line tonight. <laughs> there was a couple times where I was sitting there, I was like, dude, this guy's just breaking ankles left, right, and center, and it is, it's unbelievable. It's fun to watch, and I think the biggest thing about this team right now this season is they're having fun. And they're winning games, and some yes, they're taking criticism, and they're taking you-know-what from their coach when they don't play well, when Rick Tockett after the game says that's not what playoffs teams do, that third period of this game tonight against the Anaheim Ducks, that's what playoff teams do right there. Take the games by the throat, and they end them. Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, there, there are better opponents ahead. Yeah. So when you have these opportunities, and I think that's what frustrated Tockett was, his team had played a lot. It was an end of a grueling stretch, but it was also a 2-2 tie going to the third period in San Jose. It was there in front of them, and they kind of slipped on the banana peel they had to make sure that they didn't. And so put the hammer down in the third, again, out shooting the Ducks 16-4. to four. The Ducks hold a slight edge on the night. They had built that big lead on the shot clock, 31-28. Both teams strike on the power play because the Besser empty net goal, officially a power play goal. So the Canucks go one for four with the man advantage. The Ducks go one for three. And I can hear people screaming, guys, they made a trade. Uh, <laughs> we'll get there. We got lots of time here, lots of ground to cover on Rinkwide Vancouver. And certainly we will talk about Anthony Beauvillier moving on to the Chicago Blackhawks. Lots of moving parts in that deal. We'll also get to our Rinkwide Vancouver three-star selection, the stat that stands out on this night. And we'll get into the locker room and hear from some of the principals uh, in this 3-1 Canucks victory. But right now, it's time for our Betway bet of the day. And I'm looking at the Montreal Canadiens at the Columbus Blue Jackets, not exactly uh, classic on paper, but two teams. Somebody's going to win this hockey game. You can find some value in the Habs at 210 on the money line there. Again, they're on the road, but never know what to expect from really either one of those teams. So looking for a value play. Montreal at 210 on the money line. That is our Betway bet of the day. Must be 19 years of age or older. Please play responsibly. Brock Besser with a pair. Elias Pettersson gets the winner. His ninth of the season. His first five-on-five goal 
since November the 4th when the Canucks defeated the Dallas Stars by a score of 2-0. So need a little more 5-on-5 offense from Elias Patterson. They got it here, and it leads to a victory. It's Jeff Patterson along with Irfan Gaffar. You're listening to Rinkwide Vancouver. One Canucks down the ducks. It's Jeff and Earth with you here in Quide Vancouver, brought to you by Betway. And we said we would get inside the locker room. Going to hear from the head coach here. You'll hear from Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser as well. Rick Tockett was asked about the team's performance, overall performance, and the fact that, you know, we said earlier, they were shot badly midway through this hockey game, but they found a way to crank things up in the third, and the coach certainly liked that part of things. Hanheim's a man-on-man team, and we were skating a puck to our defense, and then we were getting shots blocked, and I just didn't like our game plan. We didn't talk. We talked about a lot more scissor plays, a lot more crisscross, a little bit more go through the middle, and for some reason we were skating the puck to people and then passing it, and that's a recipe that you don't want to do against a man-on-man team. So we figured out the third, and you know we're, we're better in the third. There you go, or if you heard him talking about he wanted more scissor plays. Chris wants more crisscrossing from his guys. Didn't like them skating the puck into traffic. No, I mean, I wouldn't if I was a head coach either. (laughs) The game isn't only north and south. It's east to west, too. It's a lot easier when you can have a lot of different variations when you're a hockey club. Yeah, and so we've talked about the fact that Elias Pettersson really hasn't been getting it done offensively, but he got the nod to start the third period and on fresh ice goes to town and works the puck down low. Rick Tockett just describing uh, what he saw in Elias Pettersson's game-winning goal. Yeah, it was a great. I mean, it's a big-time goal. We needed it, right? That's a. We're in a fight. You know, um, got him out there, the draw there, and you know, he just. That's a big-time play. That's been a rammer. You know, it's, uh, that's the stuff he can do for us. Yeah, called it a big-time goal, and it was. And we'll see if there's more uh, from Elias Pettersson. Up to nine now, so uh, can sniff double digits from here. It'd be nice to see him pick up uh, where he left off going up against a team like Vegas on Thursday. Somebody asked Petey after the game if he had seen that John Gibson was sort of cheating to the one side when he was behind the net. He said no, that he didn't see that part, but he did see something else as he was uh, working the wraparound. I was just trying to protect the puck and yeah, did what I did. But then I saw the replay. He was, I was boxing cozy or whatever it was, so... <laughs> boxing koozie. I love it. That's a good description. That's what John Gibson with the gloved punch and distracted by Kuzmenko and cool. that freed up uh, the left side of the net for Elias Pettersson to, to tuck it in. By any means necessary, Jeff. If <laughs> if you're going to have to get punched in the back of the head, if you're Andre Kuzmenko, if you're not scoring and you're not really playing defense that well, you might have to get punched in the head in order for your teammate to score a goal. I just like that description. Yeah, yeah that's some, great. Some boxing koozie <laughs> out there. All right, uh, we'll leave the last word on this night from the player's perspective to the leading goal scorer in the National Hockey League, Brock Besser, Sweet 16 to open things, and then the empty netter that put this one away. So he's up to 17 now on the third period, and his goal in the third, the empty netter, one of two of the Canucks scored as they pulled away from the Ducks. And the Ducks were early in the season. Remember, that was one of the stories. Look out, this is a team that had all these come-from-behind victories, but there was no comeback in the Ducks, and that's because the Canucks were the better team over the final 20 minutes, and Brock Besser uh, said that it was a basically a case of uh, the group learning from a couple of recent failures. Um, I just liked our response in the third period after we didn't have a strong second there. We, you know, I think in the past we haven't had good seconds and we haven't had a good third, so I'm um, just happy that we responded. And yeah, there you go. He referenced the recent games, and we talked about that. Uh, they've been in some tight games of late. 
weren't able to get it done, but uh, that was more what they were looking for, just in terms of the shots, in terms of possession, in terms of spending more time in the offensive zone. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, it wasn't a perfect performance by any means. I think uh, the players would tell you that, but at the end of the night, it's a win that they had to have coming off the loss to San Jose. Brockett Richard? Yeah, we better start working on some of those things. Uh, I mean, can he hang with the big boys? That's the right? question. And he's just he's showing no signs of slowing down, as we've said, uh, with those five multiple goal games already this season. So uh, like we saw from Brock Besser, yeah. like we saw from Elias Patterson, and that's a perfect segue because that leads us into our rink-wide Vancouver three stars of this hockey game. We always check on the stars as they were announced in the building. This was by the broadcast crew on Sportsnet. Thatcher Demko gets the first star honors. Uh, Brock Besser and Elias Pettersson round out the three stars. We talked about Demko. I didn't have him down as uh, one of my stars. and I mean, you know, he was good. I didn't think he was ever under siege. Canucks, for the most part, kept the duck chances to the outside. But when they got those looks, he was there to make some saves. I just went big guns, basically, across the board. For uh, I went Besser as the first star. Guy's leading the league in goals. Two-goal performance. He opens the scoring. Yeah, I liked a lot of what I saw from Brock Besser. So he was the first star for me. I give JT Miller with two more assists. He was the second star. And then, again, Elias Patterson. it's just, you know, one goal, but... At some point, you want to believe that one goal is going to lead to more. And so uh, I went with Besser, Miller, and Pedersen. If those guys are the three stars on a given night, stands to reason that the Canucks have had a pretty good night at the office. Oh, 100%. For Elias Pedersen, you know, we mentioned that, yes, it was one goal, but it was it's more so the one goal, the the relief, the monkey off the back type of thing that, you know, we saw the little bit of a slump. And hopefully this, uh, this opens some more doors for him uh, as we go on this season. Uh, we should mention as well that uh, Rick Tockett was asked about uh, Andre Kuzmenko's <laughs> night, and he said, okay, that was uh, the best he could do. So, yeah, he plays a role in the Pedersen goal, but coach wasn't there to present him with a bouquet of flowers. He called him okay, and he's going to have to be better. But he was in the lineup. They won the hockey game. I would assume that he will stay in the lineup. Uh, the other thing was uh, he said x-rays were negative on McKayev, and so he said that seemed to be good news but uh, didn't have any further updates on that. So practice day out at UBC on Wednesday and then uh, the Golden Knights here on Thursday. And I'm sure the Canucks are hoping that uh, Ilya Mikheyev is able to shake it off. But of course, uh, his knees have uh, been put through the ringer here in Vancouver. Tyler Myers, unfortunately for him. Tyler Myers doing Tyler Myers things, taking penalties, hitting his teammates (laughs) with shots. But uh, at the end of the night, the Canucks able to uh, overcome all of that and uh, win this hockey game by a score of 3 to one. I want to take a moment here to tell you about uh, the VGH Millionaire Lottery. You've got until midnight Friday, December the 8th, to get in on the VGH Millionaire Lottery Christmas bonus draw, which includes a $40,000 vacation package from Travel Best Bets or a 2023 Hyundai Elantra Luxury Hybrid or $33,000 cash. With your VGH Millionaire Lottery tickets, you get in to win one of 10 grand prize options, including home packages in Vancouver and the Lower Mainland, the Okanagan, Vancouver Island, or you can take $2.7 million in tax-free cash. Don't forget to get your 50-50-plus tickets, win half of BC's biggest jackpot. It can grow to $2.4 million. We all need VGH, and VGH needs you. Every ticket purchase supports VGH and UBC Hospital Foundation. With your millionaire lottery tickets, you're supporting more than just hospital care. You're supporting you and your loved ones who need it most. Order your tickets toll-free, 1-888-445-5825. You can do it in person at London Drugs or online at millionairelottery.com. 19 plus to play. Know your limit. 
play within it. 3-1, the Canucks defeat the Ducks. You're listening to Rinkwide Vancouver. Continuing to break down this 3-1 victory of the Canucks over the Anaheim Ducks, it's Jeff and Earth with you here. And before we get to the stat that stands out, just want to dip into our social channels, see what uh, the people are thinking about this one. We asked you on at Rinkwide Van, your thoughts and takeaways from this 3-1 victory. Dave saying somebody rebooted Petey in the second intermission. Yeah, we said that uh, of the three, I thought uh, he sort of came to life in that third. And he says the way the Canucks can close out games in the third when it's needed it's there, now just need to play that way for the full 60. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they approach and ultimately how they play against Vegas on Thursday. Now, Vegas kind of comes limping in, lost <laughs> a shootout in Edmonton. They're winless in their last three. The champs got off to an 11-0-1 start. We always hear about the Stanley Cup hangover. There was no hangover for the Vegas Golden Knights. But since an 11-0-1 start... Three, five, and three. So just three wins in their last 11 hockey games. So they're not necessarily at their best, but they are the champs. They got the bling to show it, and uh, they're a measuring stick uh, for anybody that faces them. So uh, looking forward to that one. Just a few more things here. Colin says sometimes you win even when you're not at your best. Yeah, I think that uh, pretty much describes the full 60-minute performance of this one. The Plumber says the Canucks are starting to play down to the competition. Let's hope they play up to the competition as well. And yeah, we'll get an idea about that uh, Thursday and then beyond. Another Andy saying, Canucks are now good enough to play for 20 minutes and win. I suppose uh, in some years gone by, you're right. A 20-minute effort would not yield results. So maybe that, again, speaks to just the the ability of the top-end talent to swing games in their favor. Yeah, I don't think you want to try and do that against some of the other teams. And I know you're probably good enough to do it, but let's not make that a habit if you're the Vancouver Canucks. I think that that's what one of the things that Rick Talkin and his coaching staff when they go into video or whenever they do in the next couple of days is going to be like, okay, well, we saw what we did really, really good for one period. We can't be this bad for the other two against good teams. And like you mentioned before, yes, there are no easy games in the National Hockey League, and we've seen that happen from this team on some nights and and on occasion. But for what it was and what the effort had, this is going to be the third period that you know, that puts the Canucks there and say, okay, you know what, they can. If they really want to, they can go and close games. And I think that that's what you have to look at and take the positives from there. Um, Lots of good performances, a a lot to like. I thought that Connor Garland, his jam was pretty good in this game. I I thought near the end when he uh, drew the penalty right at the end of the game, that was a great shift from Connor Garland. Um, I think when your top guys are going as well as they are, it's infectious in your bottom six. And we've sometimes haven't seen it from these teams in the years past, but now you finally are a little bit. Yeah, draws the penalty late that put the Canucks yep. in the power play there able to win. I thought he and Joshua and Bluger had a really good shift towards the tail end of the second period as well. You know, there's nothing to show for it. They've got no offense, but they are doing a job of wearing down defenses, playing in the offensive zone. You hope that you soften up your opponents and then maybe your top guns get out there and can take advantage of that. I don't think anybody's ever going to knock the effort of Connor Garland, but Brock Besser's getting all the bounces right now. Connor Garland can't buy a bounce, but he's certainly playing hard. And, you know, now with Anthony Wavillier out of the way, you wonder if maybe the volume dies down a little bit about uh, the need to make some other trade because both Garland and Besser, obviously, for the better part of, uh, well, more than a year now, have heard their name 
uh, in trade speculation. Their agents both involved. Nothing happened. They're both here. And Beauvillier is the guy that's on the move. And we'll get to that in a second here. But we like to get to a stat that stands out on every episode of Rinkwide Vancouver. And you mentioned this a little bit earlier, the National Hockey League. Like, there must be somebody at headquarters that just sits up and watches the Canucks now and pumps out, like, on a <laughs> nightly basis, the, the things that the Canucks are doing offensively. This is courtesy of the NHL Public Relations Twitter account. Elias Pettersson's 30th point of the season. The game winner joins Quinn Hughes and JT Miller as the third Canuck player this season to reach 30 points, the most among all teams. But get this. This is the part that stands out, Earth. The Canucks became the third team in the past 30 years to have three players with 30 points through 23 games. The 0506 Senators and the 95-96 Penguins. You know, if it's not Quinn Hughes individually being compared to some incredible Bobby Orr statistic, these high-flying Canucks that are doing things that haven't been done in decades. So pretty incredible. Definitely stands out. As does the fact that you know, there aren't a lot of trades being made in hockey. Certainly, uh, you know, up ahead of the U.S. Thanksgiving, I think teams are still figuring out what they've got. It's still pretty jammed. Nobody feels like they're truly out of it. Okay, maybe the Sharks do, but we haven't seen a lot of trade activity. But you think back to the preseason, the Canucks were able to pick up Sam Lafferty. They made the deal for Mark Friedman. They got Casey DeSmith here as well. Like, Patrick Elvin has chipped away kind of quietly and been able to pull off some trades and a couple of hours prior to puck drop. The Vancouver Canucks send Anthony Beauvillier to Chicago for a conditional fifth. Obviously, so much noise around that Blackhawk organization for the last 24 or 48 hours. I'm not sure that Beauvillier deserves to be the guy that has to walk into that and be the player that essentially replaces Corey Perry, but of course, Taylor Hall out for the season mm -hmm. as well. So the Blackhawks needed quality veteran players that can produce. I know it's been an incredibly disappointing season on the offensive front for Anthony Beauvillier when he was playing lower in the lineup. I think he was playing okay. He wasn't hurting the Canucks. He wasn't getting scored on, but at 4.15, there has to be a bottom line, and there hadn't been for him. And so for the Canucks to move that salary, not have to retain, basically get the draft pick back that they traded away for Sam Lafferty, all around, a pretty decent piece of work done by the Vancouver Canucks ahead of this hockey game. Yeah, very tidy piece of business, Patrick Elvin. And his staff has been able to do that. You mentioned all those trades that, you know, he was able to do and able to chip away and improve this hockey team. Um, Anthony Beauvillier, I think between him and Connor Garland, it was one of them. And we heard just before the start of the season this year that, you know, Garland had switched agents. And the Canucks have been trying to trade Garland for a while. And it just, nothing has happened. And like you mentioned, it is difficult to make a trade in the National Hockey League right now. Teams are capped out. Yep. And the Canucks worked themselves uh, now $4 million in cap space, you know, and some inklings that, you know, Ethan Bear could be a name that the Canucks are very interested in. I know he's obviously been injured, but I think he needs to be signed if he is by December 1st, or he would have to go through waivers. And then there's obviously the two defensemen in Calgary that the Canucks are very much so in on, or a bunch of other teams are, Nikita Zadorov and Christopher Tanev, who ate a puck the oh, other night, and it was it was sad to, yeah, it, it's wild. I think they feared fractured jaw, but were hoping it was just a really bad cut. I think that's the way that Chris put it. So it's one of those things, if you're the Vancouver Canucks, I think, Jeff, if you look at them, I'll ask you this, is there need a defenseman, or would you like to see them improve more up front? I mean, all along, the thinking has been they have to bolster that blue line. Yep. That beyond Hughes and Hronick, it gets pretty thin. And I will say, as I sat in the stands at Rogers Arena on Monday, and the Canucks practiced, and they gave Hughes and Hronick the day off, 
there was a real stark reality check there <laughs> of what was left beneath those guys if one of them, you know, if they ever both went down, forget about it. I shouldn't even mention that. But even if one of them goes down, you know, the depth is an issue. There's no doubt. And so I still think that that's on the wish. If they think that they are in a position that this is their year, that they can maintain this point production and, you know, put themselves in a position to to take a run at maybe even home ice in the opening round of the playoffs. But the longer Andre Kuzmenko goes mm -hmm. without being any sort of offensive factor, you know, Phil DiGiuseppe isn't it. It was a nice story out of training camp and for the first 20 games. But, you know, now I'm starting to think that another scoring winger, like a, a legit scoring winger. What's Tyler Toffoli up to these days? Uh, <laughs> can they get him back? The Stars have carried this team to this point. There have been some nights like Seattle where the depth guys stepped up. But yeah, I, I think if they really want to hang with the big boys in the National Hockey League, that they probably need help both in the top six and uh, in their top four on defense. And of course, that's going to come at a price. And so they've cleared up some cap space. We'll see what they do with it. We'll see how aggressive Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin get uh, the closer they get to the trade deadline. They'll have a much better idea, obviously, of where they stand in the standings uh, by then. But, yeah, I don't think that this group, there's too many guys, you, you know, as hard as Connor Garland and Dakota Joshua play, there's not much of a bottom line from those guys. And it would be nice to see Pia Suter back at some point, to see Suter and Bluger in the lineup together. They played one game, the one game in Montreal. But injuries happen, and you know there's never a guarantee that you're going to have all of your bodies available to you. So it's wishful thinking, and at some point, hopefully, Pia Suter is back in there because I think he was playing some some really good hockey for the Vancouver Canucks. But uh, yeah, I mean, the deal of Beauvillier, it allows people's mind to start to wander. Okay, they've got this cap space they've been chasing for the better part of two years. What will they do with it? Now, I, I saw some people pushing back that, oh, if they had hung on to Beauvillier you know, closer to the deadline, they probably could have done better than a a fifth rounder, but that supposes that he was somehow going to find his game. And I think in Tockett system, he was trending in the wrong direction. Like he got the promotion on Saturday to play with Miller and Besser, did absolutely nothing with it. And when I talk about Pia Suter coming back, like I think Beauvillier was working. I mean, if Kuzmenko can be sat, how long was it going to be before Anthony Beauvillier found it looked like Di Giuseppe was going to come out of the lineup yep. before the trade. Like, I think they were starting to work their way through some of these potential healthy scratches. So this idea that, oh, if you'd hung on to him closer to the deadline, the guy's sitting on two goals 22 games into the season and has shown no signs of finding his offensive form. I think if you're the Vancouver Canucks, you're pretty lucky to get what you got and not having to retain any salary. It's a pretty interesting uh, situation. Obviously, he goes in on fresh start for him, maybe, but goes into a whole complete mess over there <laughs> in Chicago. And for the Vancouver Canucks, yeah, it's it's cap space. And it's one of those things where, you know what, if you would have asked Patrick Alvin what he wanted for Christmas coming up here, yep. but at the end of November, it's probably that $4 million in cap space that he's going to have to try and, you know, pull off some magic with it. Well, we'll have to wait and see uh, what the Canucks do with the cap space. We'll see what the roster looks like here when they get back at practice on Wednesday. And then the defending Stanley Cup champs, the Vegas Golden Knights, come to town on Thursday. Again, not playing their best hockey right now, but it should be fun. We've already seen a couple of big matchups at Rogers Arena. I think of the Dallas game when the Stars came in here with a 7-1-1 record. The Bo Horvat returned to Rogers Arena. The two visits by the Edmonton Oilers. 
And now you get the cup champs coming in. So I would think that there should be a pretty good atmosphere at the Raj on Thursday night. The Canucks and the Vegas Golden Knights as they battle near the top of the Pacific Division and Western Conference standings. Canucks defeat the Ducks by a score of 3-1 to one here on Tuesday night. That's going to do it for us here at Rinkwide Vancouver. For Earth, this is Jeff. Thanks so much for listening to Rinkwide Vancouver, brought to you by Betway.